Welcome to the Geneva Peace Week podcast series, a project of the Geneva Peacebuilding Platform. Geneva Peace Week is a leading annual forum in the international peacebuilding calendar. It's a week of events, workshops, videos, and podcasts just like this one, hosted by different organizations and actors around the world. Founded on the core belief that each person, actor, and institution has a role to play in building peace and resolving conflict. You're listening to a podcast produced for Geneva Peace Week 2020, held from the 2nd to the 6th of November with both live events and pre-recorded contributions. For more content like this, join the conversation at genevapeaceweek.ch. Hello and welcome. As part of the series on building a career in peace building, today we will speak about recruitment criteria at the UN. I'm Aline Dimitriou-Cruz, Senior Career Services Advisor at the Graduate Institute, and I am pleased to say that today we're joined by Manuela Morelli. Hello, Manuela. everyone. <laughs> Hello, Manuela. Manuela is the Head of Human Resources Planning and Development at the International Telecommunication Union, ITU. This is the UN organization dealing with technology for the accomplishment of the 2030 Sustainable Development Goals Agenda. She is responsible for a number of human resources functions from performance management to learning and development and succession, succession sorry, planning. She has covered different HR roles in different UN organizations and talent management is her passion. A warm welcome to you, Manuela, and thank you for joining us. Thank you, Aline, and uh, great to get connected uh, to all of you. <laughs> Thank you. So today we'll be asking you a few questions about recruitment within the UN system. Should we uh, start with the questions? Sure, go ahead. <laughs> so can you please give us a brief introduction and tell us how did you get to where you are? Very uh, complex question to which I will provide a simple answer. <laughs> I got where I am because of my curiosity and my uh, resilience, I would say. Uh, getting into the UN uh, is very difficult uh, because of the numbers of uh, interested applicants and because of the complexity of uh, the UN family. It's more than 80 organizations uh, uh, spread across the globe and offices are innumerable and the recruitment system as a result is also very complex but uh, being curious working on the network uh, being persistent when submitting applications and try to stand out among a large number of applicants uh, has been uh, my chance uh, to get into the system okay Great. And um, can you please tell us um, within which UN organizations you worked for before? Sure. I started in the Secretariat in New York. It was in 2007 when Ban Ki-moon, the Secretary General at that time, uh, came out with a new strategy to deal with the human resources in UN. And uh, there was a split between HR working for field uh, personnel and HR working for headquarters. And I had the chance to do the startup for all the HR functions for field personnel. Uh, I then decided to move to the field because there's no better um, 
place to learn how the policies for field personnel work than just being on the ground uh, myself. And I lived three years in Africa where I worked for UNON and UNICEF. And then after a short secondment to European Union in Spain, I came back to Europe and I worked for WHO uh, and ITU. I also did a short consultancy in FAO uh, in Rome, a food agriculture organization uh, at the beginning of my career. But most of my uh, last experience is with ITU. Okay, great. Thank you so much for explaining. <laughs> um, what kind of skills and experiences are most sought after within the UN system? And what would you suggest is the best way to develop those skills and experiences? That's a very important question, Eileen, I guess, because one of the misperceptions that students have is that you need to be highly qualified and uh, technically uh, skilled to really get uh, the chance to be considered in the system. But it's not always true. Actually, what UN values the most is the behavioral framework. You need to have the strong behavioral uh, competencies, uh, such as resilience, communication, working in teams, and uh, also being a networker um, to really uh, stand out uh, in the large number of applicants. And, uh, and these competencies can be uh, told as a storytelling uh, in your motivation letter. So there's always time over a career with UN to take uh, technical trainings and increase your technical capacities. But you need to work on your behavior and your competencies since the beginning of your career. So it's important, for example, that um, since the time of universities and while being a student, uh, the, the applicants, the students get exposed to uh, a variety of experiences, uh, doing voluntary work, uh, trying to take short-term assignments, being very mobile, geographically exposed and uh, learning languages, working with others. All these that shapes your personality and your language skills becomes really precious when you apply to UN. Wow, this is very good to know. Thank you so much for sharing that tip. Um, and talking about languages, um, how important are language skills and particularly UN languages like French and Spanish? Yeah, languages are very important to apply to UN. Well, first, uh, in order to be eligible for the majority of the job posts uh, in the United Nations, you need to have at least two UN languages. and uh, that means mainly English and the second language. And as you rightly said, Aline, the two most important languages uh, beside English are French and Spanish. Because of course, uh, there are uh, several uh, French um, and, and uh, Spanish uh, countries and geographical areas uh, where these skills can be applied. Uh, also in terms of uh, writing skills, uh, having French as the second language is very advantageous because in headquarters locations such as Geneva and uh, New York headquarters, uh, normally documents are circulated both in English and French. So it's very important to know these things since the beginning so that with the courses and certifications so students can get ready. Well, again, very good to know. Thank you so much. Um, and those who hope to join the UN system as national staff uh, and those national staff who may hope to work at the headquarters, 
um, what languages are most uh, sought after the same? Yeah, so as a national staff, uh, I guess it's very important to know uh, very well the, of course, the, the local language, especially in writing, and then still English and, and Spanish and French uh, remain the, the, the key ones actually to do good interviews and, uh, and get the chances to, uh, to get recruited. It's also true that nowadays, uh, more and more, the languages uh, that are less known in, in UN, but they are still considered UN languages, such as Chinese or Russian, uh, are becoming very important because not many staff members uh, speak those languages. So if you have them on your CV, both as an international staff and as a, a national staff, um, your CV will definitely uh, stand out among many others. Okay. Very good to know. Um, what advice would you have for graduates and young professionals who would like to pursue a career at the UN or any of the UN agencies? Any specific advice? Yeah, of course. Um, as I said, uh, the recruitment system and the UN system uh, are very large. Uh, so what is important is really to zoom in on what are the interests, uh, personal mission statement, and also the mandates of the UN organizations that are more interesting for the students to pursue. Uh, so it's like having a big map uh, that covers the entire world and, and try to really uh, focus on what is important for them and try to target their motivation letters and their statements, conversations with the UN uh, people that they will have the chance to meet and literature that they can approach, career services, always focus on what's interesting for them uh, and, and try really to focus on the contribution that they would like to make. If they do that and they start to shape their motivation letters, uh, looking at the eligibility criteria in the job posting and the being very persistent in the way they submit their applications, uh, of course, the chances will absolutely increase. Okay, okay. Thank you so much. Um, do you, would you say that internships are a good place to start? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, statistically speaking, uh, most of the jobs in UN um, and long-term careers start with the internships. And that's the best way to uh, step into the system. Uh, there are some rules that need to be uh, followed. Uh, for example, if you finish your internship and you are interested in a job that is in the same organization where you have done the internship uh, with, you need to wait for six months before being eligible to apply to a consultancy uh, opportunity or to a job opportunity. But if that or job opportunity or that consultancy is with another UN organization, then having an internship um, creates an advantage and, uh, and you can definitely apply. Also, the network is very large. So when you start an internship somewhere, you can do the first three months in that particular organization, and then you can move around and maybe finish your assignment somewhere else. So what I'm trying to say is it's an excellent way to step into the system uh, and then try to grow uh, as the assignments uh, grow with that opportunity. Okay, this is amazing news. Thank you. Um, in what ways would UN internships help those who hope to join the Young Professionals Program? And maybe for the audience, if you could start um, your answer with a brief introduction of what the Young Professionals Program is, that would be great. 
Of course. So the Young Professional Program is a special program uh, that is uh, handled by United Nations in partnership with the governments. So the difference, for example, between a junior position in UN and the Young Professional Program is that uh, this one in particular is uh, paid by the government. So the salary actually of the, the young um, uh, colleagues working in UN uh, it doesn't come from the, the UN system, it comes from their own government. And the program lasts for two years. And then on the third year, there's a cost sharing option. So it will be paid 50% by UN and 50% from the government. And on the fourth year, UN needs to clear, uh, you know, make a decision uh, on uh, uh, recruiting the person or not. So the, the responsibility will be in that case 100%. Uh, with UN. It's uh, a very interesting opportunity uh, because um, the, the JPO, the Young Professional Program Officer, is considered 100% a UN staff. So it's part of the UN personnel and chart. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it's, a, it's a highly professionalizing experience that can be in different areas, in different geographical locations. And uh, in order to get considered, uh, you need the two main things. Well, first, your country needs to be in the list of the donors, annual donors that uh, sponsor this program for UN, so that the students uh, of that particular nationality will be able to apply. And second, you need to have already some work experience uh, in order to be eligible. Internships are great, uh, but at the same time, for most of uh, the, the JPOs, the, the work experience is considered a full-time, uh, fully paid uh, job experience in private or public sector uh, that gives a, a total, um, uh, let's say, uh, amount of uh, uh, 24 months uh, of, uh, of resume that can be submitted with the application. So it's not just actually with the three-month internship that you can apply to JPO. But because the criteria uh, are modified every year that the program is advertised, I encourage ex actually to check on the UN web to see what are the specific eligibility and suitability criteria that are posted um, at the time of the application. Okay. Again, very good to know. Um, what do you think can be done to improve um, diversity through uh, YPP and also at headquarters? So uh, these are excellent program actually to include um, a diverse uh, um, range of uh, of skills and uh, and population and actually uh, young uh, professional programs and internships in general or junior positions are always advertised based on the diversity criteria. In other words, as you know, UN. Uh, receives contributions from member states. And uh, we have more than 190 member states contributing to UN, which means that it's their, in their own interest in getting a representative population as part of the UN workforce. So every year that these programs are advertised are always based on geographical targets that UN needs to comply to in order to cover all the possible nationalities and all the possible geographical areas. So these are excellent opportunities for the UN to increase diversity and inclusion. Okay. And I heard, I don't know if this is true, um, I heard that some countries are never part of that list. Is there a specific reason for that? 
Well, that uh, is uh, linked to the contributions, as I said. So mm -hmm. if uh, the, the countries uh, are not actually contributing uh, to UN as donors, uh, they will not appear uh, most likely in the list. Ah, okay. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Um, yeah, because I didn't know. When reviewing applications, what facilitates a recruiter's job? in terms of you know format layout there's anything that facilitates your job as a recruiter yeah that's a very good question aline is shortness, shortness. <laughs> and simplicity and the reason um i i guess i mentioned already at the beginning uh the recruitment is huge uh, is massive and uh, the system is very complex and so because it is uh, mandatory at each step of the recruitment for all the the recruiters and the hiring managers to look both as the, at the resumes and the motivation letters, the shorter and simpler they are, uh, the more chances the students get to get uh, considered for that particular post. And some tips I can share are around, for example, not repeating in the motivation letter what's already in the CV, but having the motivation letter as a personal statement uh, that focuses on the contribution and the added value that the applicant uh, will actually bring. Um, also international experience, as you can imagine, is very much valued, as well as the knowledge of the languages. So anything that is in the, in the job advertisement and uh, can be uh, really put up front, both in the resume and, uh, and the motivation letter, will be caught uh, easier um, and, and will be brought to the attention of the hiring managers from HR if the information is very clear and simple. Okay. Do you also agree that uh, uh, they should uh, use the same keywords as the job description? Yeah, absolutely. That's actually a, a very uh, good advice. Also, because uh, we make use as HR and as recruiters, uh, of online systems and screening questions and uh, and uh, systems that allow researching uh, the applications by keywords so if the students actually use the wordings uh, that is in the job advertisements so then they have more chances to get picked by these uh, enterprise resource planning automated systems that we are using uh, for the recruitment okay thank you um, what are some of the most recent changes to the recruitment processes within the UN system? And what does that mean for those who hope to work there? Uh, can you repeat the last part of the question, Aline? Yes. And what does that mean for those who hope to work there? Yeah. So the recruitment has uh, changed quite a bit uh, in UN in the last, I would say, five to six years. We are first uh, making more and more use of uh, screening questions. So the screening questions are typically questions that are asked uh, even before you can start your application online, such as, uh, do you have the minimum years of experience that the, the job requires? How many languages do you speak? What is the uh, most relevant competency that you are bringing into these applications. So if the, the applicants are not ready uh, to answer to these questions, they can't even go to step two. Uh, that means that uh, we are requesting the applicants to be more and more prepared in the way they submit their applications rather than just clicking on the bottom, you know, to submit their, their CV. That's, that's one thing. 
Uh, the second thing uh, is that um, the, the, the recruitment is becoming more and more talent-based, uh, which means that we are looking for special skills. Uh, you know, the more the, the recruitment got complex and the, the more the system uh, grew, the more we are trying to identify those unique uh, talents uh, that can be identified in the massive uh, number of the, the, the submissions. And so it's very important, for example, in a motivation letter or in an interview to really show some unique uh, values and some unique experiences and skills that in a comparative analysis can make you the best candidate versus another one. And that means that while the recruitment has increased the automation of the functions at the level of the screening, at the level of the keywords research in resumes, also the more the human aspect of the recruitment by asking very unique questions on talents, on competencies, on behavior have increased in order to identify the best uh, candidates in the process. Wow. Thank you. Thank you so much. This is such a great uh, insight. Thank you. Um, and I have a last question for you. ITU is working towards the sustainable development goals. And if I want to work in peace building, what opportunities does ITU provide? Well, that's an excellent question, Aline, uh, because in the perception of, of people and particularly um, uh, students uh, who are trying to get their way into the system, uh, uh, each organization works in a very specific mandate. For example, if you want to work in peacekeeping and peace building, you can only do that in New York, you know, in the peace building organization or in uh, uh, missions uh, uh, in, in the field. And if you want to work for technology, then you can come to ITU. Well, that's not really the case because more and more uh, we see multilateralism and overlapping of mandates. So to give a specific example, there are a number of NGOs, institutions, UN organizations working on the same topics and uh, peacekeeping, peace building is, is one of those. Um, and uh, secondly, there is a high mobility in the workforce of UN. So you may be interested in working in peacekeeping and you start, for example, in uh, New York. But then if you work on a digital project, you will be assigned to work in ITU for a short period. And so there's a lot of exchange and, and swaps and movements in, in UN uh, as, as, uh, as a system, as a UN workforce. So my advice would be that while students keep their mission statements very focused on peacekeeping, on peace building, they look at all the possibilities in the UN system that go beyond uh, actually the, the specific organization with that specific mandate. And they look more at action plans in UN and events and uh, um, opportunities that are around that specific topic, but they may be covered by another number of organizations uh, in the system. Okay, thank you so much. So basically, I can totally uh, find a, um, an opportunity at ITU um, if, if I were interested in peace building as well, because I saw that you were provide, actually uh, providing some um, I don't remember the name. Um, there's a forum, I think, 
um, that you're organizing? Um, yeah, we have several fora. Uh, we have also an, an artificial intelligence forum that looks at human rights and, uh, and peace. Uh, and there are absolutely important elements that students interested in this topic can learn from that. And everything is advertised on the ITU web. Yes, I think I saw it. Yeah. Well, that were all my questions. Thank you again so much for answering them, Manuela. Thank you for this insight. Thank um, you, Aline. My pleasure. And thank you again for taking the time. <laughs> um, thank you again so much, really. Of course. Appreciate it. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. And thank you all for listening. <laughs> thank of you. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this installment of the Geneva Peace Week podcast series. Don't forget to subscribe, rate the podcast, and leave a review about something you learned. You can also visit our website to continue the conversation with the makers of this episode. Or join us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Geneva Peace Week. Above all, thank you for being here, and we hope you'll join us again for another episode.